Hello everyone and welcome to this special In Conversation With edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. I'm Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and earlier this month I talked to Harry McQuillan, Chief Executive of Community Pharmacy Scotland, the negotiating body for pharmacy contractors north of the border. We had a wide-ranging conversation about how community pharmacy teams in Scotland have stepped up to the challenges of the pandemic, the network's role in the vaccination programme now and going forward, and the latest on the groundbreaking NHS Pharmacy First service. We also looked further ahead and discussed how independent prescribing is re-engineering the clinical role of community pharmacy in Scotland, and we talked about lots of other things as well, not least the question that perplexes pharmacists in England. What's the secret behind the constructive relationship that the sector appears to enjoy with the Scottish Government? I also learnt a new word. So let's listen to what Harry had to say. So thank you, Harry, for joining us on the pod. Let's start with COVID. How's the pharmacy network in Scotland coping? I think it's certainly at the minute it's coping well, Richard, and it's still busy. You know, we've got this aspect of with the initial onslaught in March of March and April of last year, it's remained busy and, as you're aware, across the country, remained accessible. And with that, that I think understandably is now bringing a bit of fatigue. So there's how do we get out of this? The vaccination, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a, a little while. It sees some light at the end of the tunnel, but there, there's no doubt it's still busy out there. Uh, and maybe I give some people some semblance of comfort with that. The one thing the public and the patients have really responded to community pharmacy, certainly from a, a Scottish perspective, and that's kept the teams going. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I have to say the First Minister, I thought up here, put it very well the other week when she said everyone's scunnered which if we don't use that phrase across the country just means we're fed up with us. But, uh, and and it's, it's true. But I still think they're managing to do a, just a tremendous job for us, Richard, and for the people across the country. I must use that phrase. That's a great phrase. Um, <laughs> Harry, let's, let's talk about vaccinations first then. Um, are pharmacy teams being vaccinated as priority health workers in Scotland? Yes, they are, Richard. We did some work with the mobilisation recovery group that's set up by the Cabinet Secretary for Health in Scotland and made, made sure that the pharmacy teams are included as level one healthcare professionals and receive their vaccinations. That has started, would I say that all our teams are vaccinated? No, we're not. And I have to say, I could also again understand the frustration of some of our network where they see others, would we say, who's maybe not been quite as frontline as our teams have been being administered or receiving their vaccine before they were. But the one thing I've been trying to reassure the network, we're definitely included in the early stages of that vaccination programme. And as vaccine becomes available, because with a lot of that, we're using the Pfizer vaccine for that in Scotland. So it's, as you know, all the logistics issues that goes with it. But it's getting that out to the health boards to then administer to primary care teams and the pharmacy colleagues. And our teams are fully involved. They're certainly included in it. And uh, we have routes. If we find that that's not happening, we can feed back to the Scottish Government who can do a bit of investigative work on behalf of the teams for that basis, Richard. So, yeah, involved in that. Yeah, that's good to know. Um... Now, what about administering 
COVID jobs? I mean, there's been a lot of media attention in England about the role of, of the network in, in administering jobs. And we saw the first pharmacy hubs go live last week and, and more come in on stream um, from today, actually Monday uh, the 18th. Yeah. But what, what's the situation in, in Scotland in terms of administering jobs via the network? We are taking a, well, I wouldn't say a, a different approach, we're taking maybe a more, would I say, controlled approach, Richard. In, the, in these very early stages, the rate limiting step isn't the number of vaccinators, it's the amount of vaccine. And therefore, to assist with the logistics of that, the if the network was involved at this time, the actual logistics of getting that vaccine out to everybody becomes more complex and therefore puts pressure on where things go. If we don't want to minimise the amount of wastage that could happen with a multi-dose vaccine if we don't get it right, then actually by design, I think I said that in the video earlier last week, that the network at this very early stage isn't involved. And we've taken the view that our role at this stage in the vaccination programme is keeping people well at home, making sure their medicine supply is well managed, that keeps their normal conditions or their long-term conditions stable and therefore keeping the patient out of hospital. Now, when the vaccine becomes much more readily available in greater quantities, then we can see a role for the network to assist as the amount of the population going through the JCVI categories comes on board. Then, yes, there'll be a role for the network. It's being able to plug in it for us at the right time to maximise the value of the network to the total vaccination programme. So it's, it's a, would I say, a staged approach, Richard. And for us at the minute, we've got, we've got plenty of work, pharmacy first, medicine supply, as I was saying, but fully involved in the discussions around the vaccination programme. So we're certainly by no means forgotten, and certainly the First Minister and the Cabinet Secretary is keen to have the network involved. What we need to do is control that to maximise the value. Finally, on COVID, the Scottish Government has provided financial support for staffing costs during the crisis. Pharmacy yes. workers are to receive a £500 one-off payment as a, a thank you for their COVID efforts. There have been additional payments for dispensed items. Uh, in England, by contrast, contractors still haven't had their COVID costs covered and negotiators are pushing hard for the £370 million cash advance to be written off, uh, but no joy yet. So there's a marked contrast in the situation north and south of the border. And why do you think contractors in Scotland seemingly are in a much better position than their counterparts in England? It probably goes to, would I say, Richard, establishment of relationships, but I think in Scotland has been more stable than, uh, than you know, as things have moved down south. We, we are certainly involved uh, I've mentioned already the Mobilisation Recovery Group. So we're, we're in a very fortunate position that we speak directly every three weeks to the Cabinet Secretary for Health. If you've got an opportunity to propose solutions in that particular environment, you, you're speaking directly to government, who then Cabinet Secretary instructs the civil servants to, to get in touch. I'm interested in that and we can discuss it. Uh, I also have mentioned there were civil servant colleagues who have been, I have to say, tremendous during the the pandemic, we are in almost daily contact. So that, and it says a, a thing, it's very often a glib phrase, Richard, about it's a partnership. But actually, I, I really, it's easy to say because I believe it. 
the, that's, um, one of the civil servants actually called it team pharmacy. And isn't that a lovely phrase to use between a negotiating body and a, a team of civil servants that's got his government? And uh, that, that would I say, coherent, cohesive way of working really does help, really helps. So I, I think it's, really I think it's underpinned by that and the network's ability to deliver on the things that the government have asked. And that's, so that's probably the two things I would focus on there, Richard, that has worked well for us, I believe. That then culminates with this morning's announcement or this afternoon's announcement of a Scottish government uh, delivery service in terms of through the community pharmacy network. So we've been working knowing that this second wave is causing greater pressure on the NHS in Scotland and therefore we're in a two-pronged attack trying to stop the spread of the virus by keeping people well at home, not having to come out. And similarly, it means that we've got fewer people attending our pharmacies, which reduces the risk to our teams. Although we're wearing PPE and you're, you're aware that we're involved with that through Scottish Government supply as well. But that both of those things seem to work well. So it's good for the patients. I think it's good for the network. And it's also good for government in terms of a response to the current situation with a, a more vir- virulent, transmissible uh, variant of the virus. Yeah, that's very good news about the delivery service. And, and yes, you're, you're, you're right. It does seem to us, uh, looking uh, at you guys in Scotland, the, the relationship and the lines of communication, the relationship seems very close between the sector and the government and the lines of communication short and direct and uh, as a result you, you do seem to be moving in the same direction together um which is which is great for for Scottish pharmacy now we we talked about the uh, the flagship NHS pharmacy first service or we mentioned it earlier on it was launched in the summer of course after being delayed over covid in fact the official launch of the service, Harry, was back in March in, in Edinburgh, and that was the last pharmacy <laughs> event that I attended in person. And I was really struck at the time by the excitement that officials and uh, and contractors were showing in the service. I'm pride, actually. So finally got going in, in July, I think. What's been the reaction to the service from, from both the public and your contractors? From contractors, certainly our last council meeting, Richard, we held a session on that and how we thought things had went. Contractor feedback from the owners at that meeting was very positive in response to that service. But being honest, though, what we'd see, the numbers are slightly down in the minor ailment service, and we're trying to understand that. And our initial thinking is, well, we haven't had the same level of footfall. Because, again, we've been keeping people well at home, we've been keeping people out of pharmacy, or we're managing in terms of queuing systems, etc., earlier on in the pandemic. But in terms of prospects for the future, this uh, keeping our pharmacy in control of common clinical conditions, I think is absolutely right. We'll probably chat, you mentioned, we we'll get round to prescribing and how all that fits with it. So in terms of concept and policy, it's really, really useful. We are going through a review, a redesign of urgent care in Scotland as well, so out of ours and emergency departments. And that also... We're making sure that the network's fed in there so that there's another avenue for even out of hours in urgent care to know that there's a service the whole population's available to receive through pharmacy first. So it's, it's bedding in, Richard, still well supported by the network. 
conceptually absolutely right in our opinion and I'm sure it will develop because we're in discussion with government colleagues that I mentioned about expansion of that. So adding a couple of new PGDs as we go into the new year to make sure this vehicle we can use to treat people at the pharmacy. So it's about consultation, appropriate care and ultimately supply if need be. So if we can expand the disease states that the pharmacies can easily handle, that should help everyone in this current situation. Yeah, that's an interesting point about about footfall, isn't it, and and COVID. Um, But could you explain maybe how the the service works and how it differs from its predecessor, which was the minor ailment service, wasn't it? I mean, you've moved away from the the capitation model with um, the Pharmacy First service, haven't you? We moved away from that because we we went to the whole population, Richard. The old minor ailment service was available when people were exempt from prescriptions or we still use those particular classifications. So we we moved much more to making sure anyone in Scotland could access a pharmacy to have their common clinical condition controlled because I think that's an appropriate thing to do. We we currently now pay a base payment and the pharmacy is then involved, sorry, rewarded, remunerated for its activity, which is always, sorry, is all of advice, referrals or treatment. Whereas the old minor ailment service was really only about treatment. It was quite clunky to record a, a referral or a advice only. It's easy air with this one. We'd prefer it to see it more smooth than it is. But it, it gives you the opportunity to recognise everything that you do in pharmacy. Because we're aware how much advice we give. And actually the value that adds to the NHS. So this is an opportunity for that to be recognised. From, a, a, I think, a wide range of formulary. Not as wide as the minor ailments, but certainly evidence-based and produced by the Area Drugs and Therapeutics Committee. So it just again ties us in to the whole NHS thinking of value-based medicines and evidence-based supply. So I think it's, it's good from that concept as well, Richard. And of course, there's the NHS Pharmacy First Plus uh, scheme is 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 being developed and rolled out. So maybe could you explain to us where the prescribing element fits into all of this? And what, what it, it's a, an attempt, would we say, Richard, with the NHS Pharmacy First Plus to make sure our prescribers are recognised as the clinicians that they are in the community. It allows you to go wider than the current scope of Pharmacy First in terms of anything that you could supply within your competence and allow you to intervene. And it really came home during May, June time, during that first wave of the pandemic, where I was certainly listening to prescriber colleagues on our board telling us how much easier it was for them to intervene, to accept and take that responsibility to make the care of the patient delivered right there and then from a much wider portfolio than the the service, the basic service was allowed to do it. You then begin to look ahead about, well, is that our place in primary care? And absolutely, I think that first port of call helping with the triage, but also being able to, as I say, intervene and make the supply. So I could began to see how prescribing really could fit with a network. And if you roll that out across 1,258 pharmacies, it's a game changer for primary care. So we were in a position to put that to government, who again were, were colleagues in the civil service, were delighted to see that coming forward. And we, we got some funding to make sure independent prescribing courses came through 
which we were delighted were subscribed for the first one. And I can let you know that the, the next 120 for this year that start this year, Richard, are fully subscribed. So it seems, it seems again to have met a need or a desire from the network because actually they're coming forward. And that, that I have to say, is hugely encouraging for, for me for looking for the future of the network. And I'm sure we'll cover that in a wee while as well. But I can see how that could come in a coordinated aspect across the network. Now, five years' time, we've got the initial education and training programme from the GPHC looking to have the, our newly qualified or newly registered pharmacist IPs initially, straight away. And we've a, a programme there for you can imagine over the next five years to ensure people like me and you, should we choose to, could undertake that particular qualification. So that we're already down that road and as a, a network and as a, an organisation, just Community Pharmacy Scotland, we're aware we need to have a service for these people to deliver. Because otherwise we go, well, we go to other sectors or what's the point of having this particular qualification? So that was the bit of the thinking behind NHS Pharmacy First. It was, well, now that you've got the qualification, here's what you can do to use it. There's finance and remuneration that supports that for the pharmacy owners to encourage their teams to participate. And ultimately, that's us on the journey of having a prescriber in every pharmacy in Scotland to help solidify that. So I, I have to say, I, I'd see a, I really do see a future for us, Richard, in prescribing. Definitely. Very exciting developments there will be over the next few years. And, and you're right, Harry, it is all about increasing pharmacies' clinical capacity and capability, isn't it? And having it plugged in to the rest of the system, I think that's where prescribing for pharmacy will, will fly. If we'll be honest with you, Richard, if we took the same approach as we had done before with, would I say, sporadic prescribers and having to do clinics, and it, it, it just didn't quite fit for us. But once we got pharmacy first and everybody else available to access the service, you suddenly start to see, ah, here's how you augment this. Here's where it fits. You know, it's not a case of saying, oh, I'm sorry, I can't treat you because you weren't exempt from prescriptions before. You're now involved with the NHS. You're part of what the future is. And therefore, we're trying to just get one step ahead. As I, I like to talk to the team about being ahead of the curve. So if we can get ready with a whole cohort of people before our colleagues come already qualified from university, then we're into a real continuum then. And, and we're just in a place... Yeah, probably a wee bit further ahead than some of our colleagues in other countries in the thinking around it and also in its delivery. So it's uh, quite, I have to say, I'm quite excited by that. Yes, and, and system wide, isn't it plugged properly into the, into the NHS? It, it, it has to be that way. But yeah, very, very exciting developments, as I say, Harry, in the next couple of years um, with prescribing. But what about the future, Harry? Uh, life after COVID, if, if and when we get there. Um, I mean, the, start, the strategy uh, for the future in Scotland obviously outlined in achieving excellence. I think it was 2017, pharmaceutical care very much at its heart. Um, even allowing, or perhaps because of COVID, would you say we're on track with that or maybe even ahead of where you would have expected to be at this point? I, I think, being honest with you, Richard, I think we're ahead of where I expected to be at this particular point. I suppose the challenge for me and Community Pharmacy Scotland becomes keeping us there. 
Because I have to say, during COVID, we've probably ended up sitting around tables that we found difficult to do in the past. Whereas, actually, we've been invited in, again, because of the network's response. And I need to make sure that the profession and the network stays at those tables for that type of discussion. So I think there's something for us there about the, the future. I was talking to a colleague a uh, director of pharmacy colleague, Gil Cobble in Glasgow, and we were discussing about discharge planning, and I know my colleagues in Wales are further ahead than we are with that. But then you begin to think, Richard, now, if you, were, if you had a network of prescribers, you begin to get around some of the legal barriers to making a secondary care service easily provided in primary care setting in the community pharmacy. Now, from initial discharge letters, going direct to a prescriber in the community who is linked to the management of long-term conditions for people, then how much easier does that become? And the whole clinician at the heart of the community involved in medicines, supply, care, uh, review, becomes so much easier. And then I began to see, oh, wow, there's the next service that I could hang prescribing on. And then we, we discussed, there's a, some new posts here, I, I suppose, could I say an exclusive for you? I don't know about that, if I'm allowed to say that, Richard. Anne Watts no kill me at Ness, you know, but it's, uh, there's likely to be clinical academic posts coming up. And again, I've been lobbying hard to have the community sector included in that, because you could understand how it would be quite easy to consider that only being a secondary care um, consideration. But actually, so a topic like that about discharge, where you had the community, you had people in secondary care working together, that would be another, I think, fantastic topic to at least consider as you start to put something in place as a prescribing strategy takes off that you had something else to add on in the end of it. And just a, a coordinated service like that would be fantastic, I think. And what about the, the NHS chronic medication service? Where are we with uh, that at the moment in Scotland? So again, I think, Richard, if we'd be open and honest about that, it probably hasn't delivered what we'd expected it to. And therefore, we are working with our government colleagues on a, a revamp and refresh of that. In fact, we moved to Medicines Care and Review and really trying to still work within the kind of legislative framework that we had for CMS, the Chronic Medication Service, but try and move it on to much more of a medicines care and review. So we are in early discussions about, do we go back to original thinking a decade ago about doing something for disease state specific and therefore focusing the network on that, looking for outcomes, looking to change outcome and being able to record the data in that because it's probably a very much a, a scattergun approach we took. And I think now we're going to narrow the focus in to demonstrate the value and the change in outcome that we make to people's health when we truly get involved as a coordinated network. So we're, we're working on that at the minute, but it certainly has to change or evolve, probably, which is a better phrase. And we're, we're actively looking at that at the minute. And so finally then, Harry, in terms of your, your immediate priorities, and I guess COVID is pretty central to that, but on top of that, What's your um, priorities in terms of 
contractually and from a and from your um contractor's point of view their own professional development perspective what do you what will you be concentrating on this year at community pharmacy scotland and, and what should your contractors be concentrating on as well i think it's the this the whole thing of ability to keep people well at home use our pharmacy first and when you have the opportunity to engage in the prescribing program please actively get involved those that would be the, the main drivers for us. We're in a very fortunate position, Richard, that we managed to agree a three-year funding deal. So we're about to move into the second of that. So that whole aspect of having to do the negotiations round about that, we know what's coming next year in terms of remuneration from a, a basis of giving us comfort and security. So it's much more about development. So I could see Pharmacy First being developed, I know the Cabinet Secretary for Health here is very keen on us doing something around women's health and expanding our, we've got emergency hormonal contraception service, but really making that much more of a sexual health service and looking to, to add and build on that. So we can see that the public and patients are very comfortable coming to pharmacies. So it's how do we enhance the services we provide to maintain that, but deliver better care. So that, that's where I'll be, particularly this year, is focusing more on the service delivery and service enhancement rather than wondering what they are. Well, Harry, um, I know you've got a busy day today, uh, so we'd better wrap it up there. I, I really appreciate you joining us on the pod. Um, lots of exciting things going on north of the border in pharmacy. Um, thank you very much for updating us about them, Harry. Pleasure, Richard, and thanks for the opportunity. My thanks there to Harry McQuillan. As you heard, we spoke on the day that the Community Pharmacy Medicines Delivery Service launched. So Harry had a, a packed diary, but was still very generous with this time. And I thought he had some very interesting things to say, not least about the strong relationship pharmacy has with government in Scotland. There seems to be a very cohesive approach to strategy, policy and delivery there, certainly compared to England. Maybe a few lessons for others to take on board. So thanks again to Harry. A few bits of housekeeping to finish. A reminder that the Recognition of Excellence Awards 2021 is open for nominations from pharmacy support staff. So get the entries in. And a plug for two exciting webcasts we have coming up. Uh, the first on community pharmacy's role in tackling antimicrobial resistance in association with Diflam. This is from Pharmacy Magazine and takes place on Wednesday, February the 17th, starting at 7 o'clock. And on March the 17th, P3 Pharmacy is running a live webcast on automation and robotics in association with Omnicell. So make sure you register for those. The Talking Pharmacy podcast will be back next week. But for now, from me, thanks very much for listening. <laughs>